Once again, welcome to Elevate. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Jason, and I want to personally thank you for coming here and taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here tonight. Um, uh, once again, if you want to fill out those cards and turn that into me, we would love to have your information and just let you uh, know a little bit more about you, and we promise not to overload you with emails and text messages and things of that nature. Um, and then, once again, Tuesday night, love to have you guys. Um, everyone's invited. You can bring a friend. Uh, it's very low-key and relaxed, and there's plenty of food to go around. Um, it's usually, I think it's pretty good. I always cook it. I think it's delicious, but uh, some people may not. Um, but, I don't know. If they don't, they're friendly about it, and they eat it. And we usually have uh, empty plates, so I, I think that that's a good sign. But yeah, um, we'd love to have you on Tuesday nights for that, um, for that dinner. And once again, it's very low-key. It's just uh, getting to know each other a little bit better. Um, and so tonight, we are actually starting a new series called Foundations. And the series will go over the basics of the Christian faith and how those beliefs shape and dictate dictate how Christians should live their lives, right? We live in a culture where there is a lot of information swirling around, and it is difficult to sort through it all and figure out what exactly Christianity is all about. Too often people look at churches and they look at people to figure out what Christianity is, but the problem with that is that more often than not, Churches and people have it wrong. And so knowing that, it is important to every once in a while take a look back at the scriptures and the foundations of the Christian faith, right, to really figure out what it is Christianity is all about. And so for this series, we're going to look at four different foundations of the Christian faith, right? Uh, we're, tonight, we're going to start with love. And then we're going to look at sin, forgiveness, and our response. So um, tonight's lesson is going to be all about love. And, and I am thrilled about this lesson, right? For those of you that don't know me well, you have probably heard me talk about being adopted when I was two. Right? For those that do know me, right? Or... Uh, don't know me, actually. I was adopted when I was two. So um, there, you have it. I was adopted when I was two. Uh, so a little backstory about myself, right? I was born in South Korea. And when I was two years old, once again, when I was two, I got on a plane and flew over to the United States to Washington, D.C. And this is where I met my wonderful family that I am extremely blessed to have now, right? Um, they have been an extreme blessing to me. And don't get me wrong, my family is the absolute best, right? I wouldn't trade them for the world, right? They have loved me from the moment I have stepped off that plane. They have loved me unconditionally. But regardless of the love that they have shown me over the course of my life, since I was two, I have always had this deep-seated feeling of being unlovable. Through many 
therapy sessions that I've gone through as an adult, right? I discovered that the feelings stemmed from the fact that the two people, my biological parents, right, who were supposed to love me unconditionally were the same ones that were able to give me up. They were able to abandon me. They were able to leave me. And they were able to remove themselves from the burden of having to love me. This feeling that I could be discarded so easily, it always affected my self-esteem and my self-worth and my perception of how lovable I am. And whether I knew it or not, this perception that I had of myself prevented me from fully understanding and realizing God's love for me and his desire to love me and to know me personally. My experience blinded me from this simple truth, right? That God loves me, he has a plan for my life, and that is to know him personally. And so maybe you too have had a hard time accepting God's full love for you. It is hard for you to accept the fact that God loves you and created you to know him personally and experience all of the joys and blessings that come from that. Maybe you're like me and you have these deep-seated issues that prevent you from being able to accept God's love. Maybe you have done something in the past or are currently doing something now where you feel that there is no way that anyone could love me, much less the God of the universe. Maybe you were abandoned. When you hear that God is a loving father, you don't know what that means because you had a father that left you. You had a father that abandoned you. Or maybe your father was there, but just wasn't present and loving in your life. Maybe it is your desire to be loved by a significant other. Yet no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to find that companion. But the truth is, God loves you deeply because you are his creation and he wants a personal relationship with you. But not only that, he has a plan for your life which, if lived out, allows you to experience his love to the fullest. But don't just take my word for it, right? Scripture is literally littered with this message over and over and over again from the book of Genesis through Revelation. There are a ton of passages to choose from that illustrate God's love for you. Right? One of the most famous, everyone in here probably knows it, right? You see it at sporting events and concerts on posters, right? John 3.16. It says, For this is how God loved the world. 
He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Another one of my favorite passages of Scripture to remind me of God's love and plan for myself, right, also comes from the Apostle John. It is from 1 John 3, which John wrote while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, right? I think that's how you say it. Um, One of the reasons why I love John's passages and teachings on love Right? is because for those of you that are unfamiliar with John, he had a nickname along with his brother James. And that nickname was Sons of Thunder. They had this nickname because of their passion and their zeal, but not only that, because of their anger and their temper. Yet in John's writing, love is a recurring theme. In fact, in 1 John, the theme of love is mentioned more than any other book in the Bible at 46 mentions, right? This is followed closely by John's gospel, which has 44 mentions about love. The next closest book in the New Testament has less than half of the mentions of love at 20, and that's the book of Ephesians. I think this is in part because this was an area of John's own life that he needed to work on and he personally struggled with. And what a better way to learn to love than by the words and the actions of Jesus himself. Which is, in my opinion, why John wrote about love so much. Because Jesus' teaching on love made such a big impact on his life that he had to share it with others. And so, 1 John 3, starting in verse 1, it says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. These verses not only tell us about God's love for us as a father, but also tells us that he has a plan for us as well. Much like any parent would have a great plan for their child, right? God has a plan for us. It is for us to not be the people of the world who don't recognize God, recognize His power, right? But to be, but to know Him and to become like Him. Have you ever thought about being a child of God and what that entails? Have you ever known someone and then met their parent and then it all just makes sense to you, right? There's uh, sayings to describe this. Um, You've all heard them before, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Or like father like son. Or like mother like daughter, right? These sayings are saying that the child is a lot like the parent. 
And these verses that we just read in 1 John, they are saying that as a child of God, we too can become like God. Which is His plan for us all along because He loves us and He knows that being a child of His and knowing Him personally and becoming like Him is the best life for us. So what does this mean for you, right? If you skip down to verse 16 in 1 John 3, right, it continues by stating, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. John is saying here that words alone are not enough. It is not good enough to say you love someone, but you have to show it with your actions as well. Jesus showed it by giving up his life for us on the cross and taking on our sin. So I have a question for you. What if Jesus had preached and taught about love like he did, but never actually demonstrated that love to others? Do you think we would still be talking about Jesus today? I don't think we would. In Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 40, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. He responds with giving not just one command, but two in very Jesus-like fashion. And so the first command that he gives comes from Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. But then Jesus quickly follows that verse by Quoting another verse, this time from Leviticus 19, 18, which states, Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is making a point here. He is stating that loving God is expressed through the actions of loving your neighbor. You can't love God if you don't demonstrate love for others. 1 Corinthians 13 is often considered the love chapter in the Bible. And rightly so, right? The whole chapter is about love. If you read it, the whole chapter is filled with mentions about love and the traits of love. People love to read this chapter at weddings, right? Me personally, I would love to roll up to a wedding and hear some Song of Solomon, but that may be a little too racy for, you know, the flower girl, the ring bearer, whatever. So instead, most couples have 1 Corinthians 13 read instead. And while I have no issue with that at all, right? It is a great chapter on love and the traits and the values of love. If you fail to look at the context of the chapter, right? you don't get a full understanding of the text. You see, Paul in chapter 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we know that 
these gifts were given to Christians to help them spread Christianity in the region. And so right in the middle of these two chapters on sharing Christ is this chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling, puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And pay attention to this. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Too often Christians are more concerned with being right than loving a neighbor. Too often Christians want to judge and point out all the things others are doing wrong instead of loving them and wanting what is best for them. Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what gifts or talents you have, unless you are sharing through a filter and lens of love, you are in the wrong. Your motivation for any action, especially kingdom work, always needs to come from a place of love. So what if Christians actually lived this out and filtered everything they thought and did through love? How would Christianity look different today? Well, for starters, I think that there would be a whole lot less judgment. It wouldn't matter if someone is gay or divorced or addicted to drugs or a different race or a different social class. None of that would matter because Christ loves them And Christians would want everyone to experience His love just like they have in their own life. Those adjectives describing someone become non-existent because the only thing that matters is that God loves you and so should I. I also think that Christians 
their actions would change as well. Too often, Christians can be selfish with their time and with their money and with their possessions. I know that I am. But if I truly filter everything I did through love, how much more could I show and share that love with others? How would my free time change? Would I spend it binge-watching Netflix or working on ways to share Christ's love in a tangible way to others? How would Christians view their money and possessions? I think a shift would happen from look at all that I have to look at how God has shown love for me and has blessed me and how can I use those blessings to show love to others. Christians are quick to tell others about God's love, but when it comes down to actually showing it with their actions, way fewer are willing to live a life of love for others. And so my hope and prayer for this group is that we will be a group that not only loves, right, but not only loves in sharing and telling others about God, but in our actions as well. In both words and deeds, we need to love. And so, if you are here tonight, and you haven't experienced God's love for yourself, I would love to share with you how to make that happen today. All right? The good news is that God's love is available to you because He created you and He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so if you want that personal relationship and want to experience God's love, come find me as Micah comes up and sings this next song, right? I would love nothing more than to share how to make that happen for you today. Um, Thanks for listening and... uh, I hope that this was helpful for you in understanding that God loves you, right? Because He created you, and He wants that personal relationship with you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for loving us. We don't deserve it, but you love us anyway. And I thank you for that love, and please help us to be able to feel that love and experience that love and understand it fully. I thank you for this time of worship, this time to study your word and get back to the faith, uh, basics of the Christian faith, Lord. And I pray all of this in your son's most holy name. Amen.